History This Week, May 23rd, 1701. I'm Sally Helm. In London's Newgate Prison, a chaplain has been trying to get a prisoner to confess, to save his soul. His name is Captain William Kidd. And whether he confesses or not, his fate is sealed. Captain Kidd and two other condemned men are loaded into horse-drawn carts. They drive along the River Thames to Execution Dock. This is the place where pirates are hanged. Captain Kidd climbs the steps to the noose. He issues a warning to all the other sea captains out there, beware my fate. What he means is, be careful who you trust, or you too might go down in history as a bloodthirsty pirate. Today, the story of Captain William Kidd. He's one of history's most notorious pirates, but he went all the way to the gallows protesting his innocence. And looking back, he might have been telling the truth. Kidd was a striver, a misguided sea captain. When his mission didn't go as well as he hoped, he became a pawn in a much bigger battle. So what is the legacy of Captain Kidd? It's complicated and involves buried treasure, murder on the high seas, and eventually, the Nazis. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We heard this story from Richard Zacks. He wrote a book about Captain Kidd called Pirate Hunter. Zacks has loved pirates since he was little. But when he was writing this book, of course, he wanted to pin down the real historical story, not just the fun pirate details. There's no eye patch. There's no peg leg. How about like arg? <laughs> no, no arg. Arg is the reason that I don't write pirate books anymore. <laughs> Every time I tell anyone that I wrote Pirate Hunter, including my mother, may she rest in peace, I get an arg. I have overdosed on arg. There will be no more args in this episode, but there will be buried treasure. Piracy really starts with treasure. In the late 1500s, maritime trade is taking off. Merchants are sailing to and fro on the high seas with cargoes of spices, gold, silver. At any given time, there are hundreds of ships on the water. And they're not always getting along. There's just constant wars between the Dutch, the Spanish, the French, the English. And so people were capturing enemy ships all the time. And it started to blur the line between legal captures and out-and-out piracy. Sometimes taking over an enemy ship is legal at least by the rules of war. Captains who attack ships legally are not called pirates. They're called privateers. 
A privateer is legally licensed by his government to attack ships of the enemy nation during times of war. And it was an incredibly lucrative business. Privateers are like mercenaries. They're not the Navy. They're just regular citizens who sign up to patrol the seas. And they get to keep some of the loot they capture, like 25%. This is not being a pirate. A pirate is not aligned with any single nation. And a pirate goes out and captures illegally, steals, captures these ships, and keeps 100% of whatever they get. But depending on whose side you're on, a privateer can look a lot like a pirate. For example, later in the 1700s, when the American colonies revolt, they hire private citizens to help supplement their navy. The colonists call these people privateers. England calls them pirates. And even if everyone agrees you're a privateer, there's lots of temptation for you to cross the line into piracy. After all, pirates get 100% of the spoils. So the lines between pirate and privateer get blurry. In the mid-1600s, piracy is booming. This time is called the golden age of piracy. And right as that age is dawning, a boy is born in Scotland, William Kidd. His father was actually a ship's captain who apparently died at sea. And so Kidd grew up, you know, in this sort of Scottish seafaring world. And he becomes a seafaring man. In the late 1600s, he turns up in the Caribbean, and he is a privateer, working on legitimate boats. He makes a name for himself fighting for England against the French. He became a bit of a war hero down there. And he had a ship that he captured from the French and renamed it the Blessed William, which was a tip of the hat to himself, William Kidd, and also to King William. It's clear that Kidd has a healthy ego, and that he's a good king's man. In fact, he is so law-abiding, it costs him his ship, the Blessed William. Around 1690, the people on board decided they didn't want to be a privateer fighting for the glory of England. They'd rather be pirates. So Kidd lost his early ship to a mutiny. Around that same time, Captain Kidd decides to put down roots. He settles in New York City. Are there a lot of pirates in New York at this time? There are. New York and Rhode Island were the two places that pirates just thrived in that era. And they walked the streets of New York. They drank at taverns. They wore the clothes of the captured aristocrats and supposedly ill-fitting shoes because, you know, you can't tell who you're going to steal from, you know. But Captain Kidd doesn't need to steal from aristocrats. He marries one of the wealthiest women in New York, Sarah Cox Ort. They own a property on Wall Street. In 1695, Kidd sails over to England, and he gets a lofty new commission from the British Earl of Bellamont. Bellamont will be sent over to the colonies soon to become the governor of New York. And four other powerful lords also sign on. This commission is unconventional. It was a privateering commission to chase pirates as well as the enemy French. And that was very unusual. The four lords did not sign their names to the contract. They actually had their stablemen and grooms and butlers sign for them. So they knew that there was something a little fishy about what they were doing. It's fishy because it's usually the Royal Navy, not privateers, who hunt down pirates. And any goods they seize are returned to the rightful owners. 
But this particular commission is intended to make these men very, very rich. So ostensibly, they're capturing pirate ships to bring the pirates to justice. But... Clearly, they hope to somehow maybe not be able to find the owners and keep the goods. The logic here was we send Captain Kidd over there, he captures the pirate ships, and we make a huge fortune. They expected to get a return of 100 times their investment. The first part of that investment is Captain Kidd's new ship. It's built entirely to his specifications. It's called Adventure Galley. So he's got a custom boat, a top-notch crew, and a commission to hunt pirates, and also any French boats that he happens to come across. Everything's great. But at the very beginning of the trip, the crew on the Adventure Galley does something kind of stupid. Before he's even gotten out of the Thames, he passes another ship, and it happens to be the King's Yacht. And he doesn't acknowledge it. He doesn't dip his flag to it. And they fire a warning shot. And Kid's men, they they drop trow and moon the other ship. They clap their backsides, it says. The rumor is that the crew indulged a little too much at their launch party that morning, which might explain the backside clapping. As for Kid, he almost certainly didn't order his crew to moon the ship. But... Richard says his general disregard is a pretty good indication that Kidd thought his big new commission put him somewhat above the law. So a little while later, when they get an opportunity to make things right. He runs into a Royal Navy ship, again shows no respect, again gets a shot fired across his bow, and the Royal Navy captain takes 30 of his best men. So Kidd now has a skeleton crew to sail across the Atlantic. When he gets to New York, he has to recruit about 100 men to join him. And remember, New York is full of men swashbuckling down Broadway with their big belt buckles and two small shoes. You know, maybe a few pirates wind up in his crew because he lost 30 of his best men. Kidd finally has his new crew, about 150 men. And they set out for the high seas. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Captain Kidd and his crew are going to sail around the tip of Africa towards the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, because that's where the pirates are. During this time, the British East India Company is just getting its sea legs, and pirates are after those rich merchant ships. For the Adventure Galley, it's not an easy voyage. Kidd's beautiful new ship gets worms. It's leaky, and everyone gets sick. He loses about 50 of his sailors. To make matters worse, they're not finding any ships to capture. And his crew is basically paid on commission, so they're getting restless. 
They want to start capturing ships of all nations. They want to basically turn pirates, some of them, not all of them. But there is a gunner named William Moore, and he is sitting on the deck, and he had suggested capturing a Dutch ship that they had passed recently. And so you would call that a sort of plotting mutiny to a certain extent. And Kid passes him, and he calls him a lousy dog, and Moore spits back something, if I'm a lousy dog, you have made me so. And Captain Kidd takes a bucket that just happens to be sitting there, and he swings it, and it's a metal hoop bucket, and it hits Moore in the temple, in the head. And Moore dies a couple days later from the wounds. So morale is low, to say the least. But as they approach the tip of India, something good finally happens. They catch sight of a ship with a French flag. And Kidd had someone aboard who spoke French, and he introduced himself, and the captain of the other ship presented a French passport. So Kidd takes over the ship. It's called the Kida Merchant. This was just an incredibly wealthy merchant ship. Some accounts say it was carrying half a million pounds of treasure. Kidd and his crew take it all, right down to the boat. They sail around a little more, get into a few scrapes, but they make it back to the Americas with almost all of the booty. But then, when Kid makes landfall in Anguilla... He finds out that he is a wanted man. He might even be the most wanted man in the British Empire. That treasure he stole from the Kita merchant, it turns out it didn't belong to France. It actually belonged to a very powerful man in India. The ship was a Moorish ship with a French passport. At this time, merchant ships sailed with a lot of passports. It helped to have a few different identities because there were privateers sailing around from all these warring nations and they might attack you. A lot of those merchant ships are in the Indian Ocean because France and England are trying to open trade routes to and from India. It's a major economic priority for them. And for England, there is no greater priority than the success of the British East India Company. And Captain Kidd's plunder of the Kita merchant has now jeopardized all of that. He has done something that might sever the relations between the local rulers and this English East India Company, and he's done it in the name of the King of England. Kidd doesn't know any of this. He's like, me? A wanted man? There must be a mistake. I captured a French ship just like I was supposed to. I have the ship's passport to prove it. He decides to sail to New York to see his friend, the Earl of Bellamont, the guy who gave him the commission. When he gets there, Bellamont is not in New York. He's gone to Boston, which is not ideal because all of Kidd's social clout is in New York. And he starts to get nervous. Because he's heard more of the rumors especially from his lawyer, that he's a wanted man and they think he's turned pirate. So he does what I think is a natural thing to do. He leaves the bulk of the treasure somewhere else, and where he leaves it is Gardner's Island, between the two forks of Long Island. Kid is thinking, I might need some leverage here. So he hides the treasure. In fact, the story is, he buries it. Then he goes back to find Bellamont to get some help untangling this mess. But it turns out, Bellamont is pissed. He's angry that Kidd has run afoul of these powerful forces in India and England. So he cuts ties with Kidd to protect himself. Then eventually Kidd is thrown in stone prison in Boston. 
accused of piracy. Kidd tries to bargain for his freedom. He even tells Bellamont where to find some of the treasure, hoping that if he gets his money, Bellamont will help out his old friend, Captain Kidd. But no dice. Kidd stays in prison for a full year. Then he's sent back to England to stand trial. One of the charges is piracy, or as they say in the trial, feloniously and piratically seizing the Kida merchant. But there is also an unwelcome surprise, a second charge. Premeditated murder of William Moore, the gunner, sitting on the deck of the ship. That's the crewman that Kid hit with the bucket. Kid tries to defend himself, saying it wasn't premeditated, and anyways, he was putting down a mutiny. Captains have broad power to discipline their crew. But the prosecution has some important witnesses. The other sailors who were on board. One was the surgeon, Robert Bradenham. He was below deck, supposedly drunk most all the time and saw nothing. And then the other one was a guy named Joseph Palmer from Westchester. And he testified to eyewitnessing the whole thing. But I actually found a deposition that Joseph Palmer gave back in North America that states that I was not upon ye deck at the time. So the witnesses are not necessarily reliable. In fact, Kidd calls them perjured and wicked people. But the jury has to make the final call. They deliberate and return with a verdict. Captain Kidd is found guilty of murder. Now he has to stand trial for piracy. And this charge, at least, Kidd is sure he can beat. There's a paper trail. His commission to attack French ships and the two French passports that the Kida merchant was carrying. He says, I must have my papers. I must have my papers. And the judge keeps saying, if you do not plead, this will be taken as a guilty plead. So Kidd says, not guilty. They proceed to trial, and they do not give him the French passports that would exonerate him. In the trial, Kidd says that Bellamont took the passports from him by force. No one will admit to having stolen them or done anything with them, and we don't know to this day. But in 1910... An American historian found them misfiled at the Board of Trade. Without those papers, Kidd doesn't stand a chance. On May 9th, he's convicted of piracy, sealing his reputation as a pirate and his fate. He's sentenced to death by hanging. The execution day comes on May 23rd. He's taken to the gallows. He climbs the steps, puts his neck through the noose, and then something amazing happens. The rope broke, which just never happens. And by some law in some jurisdictions, if the rope breaks, you actually get pardoned. But that didn't happen in this case. Kid does get the chance for some final words. He said at that moment that his greatest regret was the thought of his wife's sorrow at his shameful death. So there he was in those last moments thinking about his wife and knowing that he's going to have to climb that ladder again and have the noose put around his neck and and die. Man, so that's the end of Captain Kidd. Yeah, except even worse, they hung him in chains, tarred his body, and he'd be a warning to other sailors not to turn pirate. In the years after his execution, the legend of Captain Kidd begins to grow. To the public... He's one of the last famous pirates. 
people write songs about him and sing them in taverns. Many long leagues from shore when I sailed, many long leagues from shore when I sailed, many long leagues from shore, I murdered William Moore and laid him in his gore when I sailed. They sing about the murder, and they look for the treasure. Kidd didn't give away all of his treasure to Bellamont. Only about a tenth of it has turned up. People think it must be buried somewhere. They thought up the Hudson. They thought all the islands of Long Island Sound. Ben Franklin even wrote that he couldn't take a walk along the river near Philadelphia without falling in holes. So Captain Kidd gives us this myth about pirates who buried their treasure. Other pirates back then spent their booty in outlaw ports all over the world. Kidd's decision to bury his treasure was unique, so the story sticks around. Almost 100 years later, it helps inspire Robert Louis Stevenson to write the book Treasure Island. And that is where we get a lot of our ideas about pirates. Walking the plank, treasure maps, X marks the spot, even, sorry Richard, arg. It comes from Disney's movie adaptation of Treasure Island in the 50s, which brings us to the popular conception of pirates today. We are pirates of the deep blue sea. You can trace a lot of what we know about pirates back to Captain Kidd. And that reputation is the very thing he went to the gallows protesting. But there's another part of this story, one that involves the Nazis, and a little redemption for Captain Kidd. Kidd's execution marks the beginning of the end of the golden age of piracy, because his very public trial makes some powerful people in England think this whole situation on the high seas is getting out of hand. Captain Kidd did something that was so spectacularly dangerous to the British Empire that it alerted the most powerful men that we can't dance around this stuff anymore privateering piracy. This is a menace to our great mercantile empire that we're building, and there's no more tolerance. This has a legal fallout, and in the court proceedings that follow, this one term keeps coming up. Hostess humani generis. Enemies of all mankind. This comes to mean that any government anywhere has the right to capture and prosecute these enemies of mankind, no matter what country they're from. It's a concept called universal jurisdiction. It might sound like a legal footnote, but it will become crucial in a couple hundred years. For two centuries, the label enemy of mankind and the concept of universal jurisdiction really only applied in cases of piracy. But... As the world globalized and people kept finding new ways to threaten all mankind, war crimes, genocide, the legal reach of universal jurisdiction grew as well. Which brings us to Jerusalem in 1961, where the Nazi Adolf Eichmann stands trial for crimes committed during the Holocaust. He's one of the architects of the so-called Final Solution, which resulted in the murder of millions of Jewish people. Eichmann escaped an American detention center after World War II, and then 15 years later, the Mossad tracked him down in Argentina. They brought him to Israel to be prosecuted. And during the trial, something surprising comes up. The attorney underlined piracy and slave trade 
where the hand of law will reach and get them wherever they are according to international law. To those who commit such crimes, the enemy of humanity must be taken care of so that no more harm can be done. Eichmann and hundreds of others accused of crimes against humanity have been tried as enemies of mankind. This term that was first applied to pirates. So while Captain Kidd is best known as this swashbuckling rogue, his greater legacy is the part he still plays in bringing down some of humanity's greatest evils. And for a guy whose original calling was bringing outlaws to justice, that might be enough to justify the whole pirate thing after all. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on history today. This podcast is produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, Ben Dickstein, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosato, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.